Good morning. We continue our series, The Church. Uh, we are going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16 this morning. And today we look at the church works. The church works. And we're going to talk exactly about what that means as it pertains to our scripture. Uh, unless you're one of those people that just has vast amounts of obscure knowledge, uh, which my wife would count me among those, just so you know, you probably have never heard of the name Michael Kearney, or Carney, however you want to say it. Uh, Michael Kearney became the youngest college graduate in history when he graduated with a bachelor's in anthropology at the age of 10 years old. Yeah. At four months old, he could ask his parents the sentence, exactly, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? Clear as day. At eight months old, he learned how to read. At four years, he joined Menza, uh, which, for those of you that don't know, it's like the people who have an IQ in the top 2% of the world. So, pretty intelligent guy. At six years old, he earned his high school certificate and enrolled at Santa Rosa Junior College. At eight, he received an associate's degree. At 10, he earned a bachelor's degree. At 14, he earned his master's degree in chemistry from Middle Tennessee State University. At 18, he earned a master's degree in computer science from Vanderbilt University. At 22, he earned his doctorate in chemistry from Middle Tennessee State University. Now, like all young men and women that this that's real all real true story now he used his vast intellect to go on to win millions of dollars in various game shows and now work at the improv in nashville so that's what he's doing with his life he is working at the improv in nashville so promising start he's enjoying his life now he's Use his intellect to, I guess, do what he wants to do, and that's where we're at. Now, all of these things prove that if nothing else, you can accomplish some really amazing things at such a young age. One of the things that Timothy himself struggled with is leading people at a young age. In fact, Paul addresses this directly in the passage that we talked about, 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16, and this is what he tells him. He says, don't look... Uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which is given through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Pers persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, this is Timothy's story, okay? That's the first thing I have to say. This isn't our story. This is Paul directly speaking to Timothy about an issue that he was facing in his day. And that was the fact that he was pretty young to be a church leader um, for any day and age. And, and people just had one of those things where it's like, this young guy is not going to teach me anything, right? And so... The way that Paul addresses it leads way to think that Timothy was growing frustrated with that approach. He was probably feeling a little down on himself because people were looking down on him for what they looked at as a shortcoming. We can't necessarily put ourselves in Timothy's shoes, but this is what I will say. While this is Timothy's story, and this is speaking directly to Timothy, there are some principles here in Scripture that apply to all of us that we can all use to apply to our situation. And so we're going to look at those principles today. And the first one is this. Don't let anyone discourage you from serving for an ungodly reason. Don't let anyone discourage you from serving for an ungodly reason. For Timothy, his youth was a problem for those that he was tasked with leading and teaching. 
how can this young man teach us, right? How is he going to teach me anything? He's half my age. Maybe youth isn't what people are holding against you. Maybe it's your age. Maybe you are what they now consider to be old, right? You don't hear as good as you used to. Maybe you don't walk as good as you used to, but you're not hesitant to still punch somebody directly in the throat for disrespecting you, right? So it's like, yeah, maybe some things I don't do quite as well. Some things I don't do quite as well, but I'm still very capable, and I still have a lot of things I can do. And sometimes people look down on you and say, well, you're old now. You can't do that. And we just have to ignore those things. Maybe you're the wrong sex, right? You're the wrong sex. Well, that's a job for a man. Or that's a job for a woman. And we're finally getting to a place in our society where I think that we're kind of separating from that ideology, right? We're kind of separating from the fact that, like, this has to be a woman's job and this has to be a man's job. And you have to do that because of the anatomy that you were born with. And that just doesn't fit. But maybe that's what it is. And and maybe you don't meet some imaginary qualification. You're too skinny. You're too fat. You're too tall. You're too short. Um, You're not intelligent enough. You're too intelligent. You're overqualified. How many of you have ever applied for a job and they told you you're overqualified for this position so we went with somebody else? Yeah, that makes no sense whatsoever, right? Thank you for telling me I'm overqualified and then giving the job to someone else. I, I greatly appreciate that. But whatever... Someone may hold in their head against you to say, for whatever reason, this is why you can't do that job. If God has called you to serve, if God has called you to do something, we can't let man's word overrule God's word. When I was going through the process of ordination and I was speaking with the council, basically how this happens is they have church deacons or elders or whoever has been ordained uh, in the organization that wants to ordain you interview you and they hit you with some hard questions they hit you with direct what do you think about this scripture what do you think about this finally one of the questions they asked me was this they said if we vote no today if we decide not to ordain you will you still push through with your call to serve and my answer to them was this yes i will because god has called me to do this i'm 100 percent confident in that and anything you say is not going to deter me from feeling that way and from accepting that call. So if you decide today not to ordain me, that's your decision, that's your call, but I will still push forward. And that's the attitude that we have to have. Why? Because God's calling in our life overrules anything that any person can say to us that may make us feel like we shouldn't be doing a job. There's a former English soccer player, and who cares, right? We're like, football, wrong football. But his name was David Icke, okay, David Icke. Now he is one of the best quotes I've ever heard. It's a quote that I really love, and the quote is this. It says that the greatest prison that people live in is the fear of what other people think. The greatest prison that people live in is the fear of what other people think. Sometimes we can let what other people might think or do think or have voice to us just keep us from doing whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing or petrify us into thinking, well, I'm just, I can't do this, right? They said I can't, so somehow now I can't. We can't let others' words determine our actions. Proverbs 29, 25 says that fear of man will prove to be a snare. It will literally trap you. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Psalms 118.8, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. So this is what I say to you this morning. If God has placed a call on your life, Trust in the Lord. Put your faith in him and him alone. And don't let humans 
dissuade you from what it is that God wants you to do in life. Okay? Don't let that happen. If someone does, maybe what you're called to do doesn't happen in that place. But just like Jesus told his disciples and his, his people that he sent out, if somebody rejects you, dust the dirt off your sandals, move on. Right? Dust the dirt off your sandals and move on. Second principle. Second principle is this. Live in a way that makes their point pointless. Live in a way that makes their point pointless. And this was Paul's direct uh, advice to Timothy. He said, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You will always find people that will try to discount you for whatever reason they want to discount you for. Okay? Always. That's just part of life. That happens. But if you live in a way, right, that whatever they are counting against you doesn't matter, then guess what? They can't hold it against you anymore. So Paul's advice to Timothy, live in a way that your age doesn't matter. Show your wisdom in the way you speak, in the way you talk, in the way you treat others, okay? And your faith, and, and remain pure to what it is that you're supposed to do. Remain pure to God. It doesn't matter what they say. Live in a way that makes their point pointless. If someone wants to wrongly judge you and judge your capabilities for any reason, let your actions do the talking. Let your actions do the talking. Doesn't matter what they say. It only matters what you do, what God has called you to do, and the fact that you remain faithful in that calling. So be an example in action, love, faith, and impurity. Let's talk about speech for a minute. Matthew 15, 11. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. So this is when uh, they're talking directly to Jewish people about the fact that they had all of these uh, kosher laws. That's what we call them now, right? And they, they couldn't eat certain foods because they were considered unclean. And so they're just telling them, hey, it's not really what you eat that defiles you as a person. It's what comes out of you that defiles you as a person. It's the things that you say that people will judge you on. It's the things that you say that will reveal your true self. And I got to tell you, for somebody like me who doesn't have much of a filter, who like literally thinks and then vomits it out a lot of the time, this is pretty scary. It really is. Because I'm like, Ugh, if people are judging me just based off of the things I say, I might get myself into trouble. Because there are times where I say stuff and then I automatically think, I shouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have said that. Like, there's lots of people in my life who have been apologized to immediately. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that wasn't just in, I make culpa, like my bad, which my mom used to hate, right? Mother's Day, I won't say it today then. It's Mother's Day. Right? But there are things that um, just sometimes I say, and so we have to understand that we need to think before we speak. Because what we say is what represents us to everyone around us. Action, Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, so it talks about speaking again, but or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You ever done yard work in the name of Jesus? You ever cleaned a toilet in the name of Jesus? Right? Like, my mom knows this because she knows us all so well, but like there used to be times when we were younger and she'd have us do something like, I need you to go clean the toilets. And the whole time, like, clean the toilet. Right? Like you're kind of grumbling to yourself and you're so upset because you have to clean the toilet and it's dirty when you were the one that made it dirty. And that's why she doesn't want to clean it in the first place. But, anyways, I digress. Um, 
it's just like those things that our spirit matters in what we do and, and in whatever we do. So our work in the workplace or the yard work that we do in, in private, like what if no one's around? What if no one's around? Our attitude still matters. We have to do everything as if we were doing it for the Lord. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Literally giving thanks in our deeds, in our actions, in the things that we have to do in our work. Everything. Everything. Let's talk about love and faith. Matthew 5, 44 through 45. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And here's the hard one, right? We always face people in life. You'll always find somebody who's going to discount you for whatever reason they decide to discount you for. We still have to love them. Somebody talks bad about you. How easy is it to still love them? I'm about to love you to death. <laughs> You're going to feel this love both hands, right? Like, the, we still have to love people even when they aren't good to us. We still have to love people even when they discount us. So Paul's sitting here telling Timothy, hey, even though people are looking down on you for your age and telling you that you can't do what it is that we have called you to do, what God has called you to do, what we as the elders, the people that were with Jesus, his friends, we laid hands on you and sent you out. Even though they're telling you that you can't do this, even though they're doubting your ability, you must still love those people. It's just not an easy thing for us to do. And to, to, to be pure, let's look at the last thing, to be pure in a way that makes their point pointless. Proverbs twenty eleven, Even small children are known by their actions. So is their conduct really pure and upright? Is their conduct really pure and upright? Is there an honesty to your actions? Are you living in a way that can't be questioned? Are your motives so clear that people can say, mm, there's nothing behind that? Is there purity in the things that you do, in the way that you treat people, in the way that you talk? Or is there always something else behind it? Now, that's a tough one that everybody has to deal with on a personal level. Am I doing this because it's the right thing to do, or am I doing this because I'm looking to gain something for it? And I'm not saying that, you know, that doesn't happen in life. Some, I mean, we work to receive money, right? It's not like I'm doing my job out of the kindness of my heart. That may be part of it, but I'm also doing it so that I can pay my bills. So there's an aspect to that where, yes, that's kind of always there. But is there a pureness in the way that we are behaving? Or can people question how it is that we are living our life and the things that we're doing and the decisions that we're making? We have to try to remove all of that. Third principle. Everyone has a gift. Find yours. Use it. Say it again. Everyone has a gift. Find yours. Use it. Everyone has spiritual gifts. Everyone. Now, finding them isn't necessarily always the easiest thing. I will be the first to admit that. But I also think that we make it way harder than it has to be. We make it way harder than it has to be. So let's talk about something first. And I'm going to say this, and this is not a joke, okay? Because I, I know I joke a lot, but this is not a joke. There are literally online assessments that you can take 
You type in spiritual strength finder, spiritual gift finder, and you'll find 20 of them. And they ask you various questions, and once you answer those questions, they'll kind of point you in a general direction. Now, maybe that's not necessarily going to be right, but at least it'll give you an idea. And I think a lot of times we don't have spiritual gifts because we, ex- or we think we don't have spiritual gifts because we just expect God to make it so blatantly clear to us that this is what I'm supposed to do, that we're just kind of waiting for like the coconut to drop on the head or the bell to ring or the light bulb to flash that, oh, this is it. And sometimes it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes we have to try a few things before we find out exactly what it is that God is wanting us to do. Now, you, another thing makes it kind of easy is this. What are you good at? What are you good at? See, one of the major problems that I think that we have in church is that we look at spiritual gifts as things that can only be done in church roles, right? So we have the worship leader and the children's pastor and the head pastor and elders. And so we look at those things and we say, oh, these are the spiritual gifts. Like these are, are highly spiritual things that God has called people to do. And I'm not discounting that. Right? Like, Scripture tells us that there's certain qualifications that people in these positions must meet. There is something that is different about that, per se. But also, when we're supposed to be doing everything as if we were to do it for the Lord, why can't cleaning a toilet be a spiritual gift? And I'm not joking about that. Maybe your spiritual gift is that you are a heck of a janitor, so to speak. I don't know if janitor is a good word to use there, but maybe you just have some amazing janitorial skills. Maybe you're great at administration and you're highly um, organized, which is something I'm, I'm not great at, I've gotten better at and tried to work on. Maybe uh, you're great with numbers and finances is your thing. Like Zoe recently took over our finances and she, I'm telling you guys, she's doing an amazing job and she's made it her own and every week I don't have to worry about a thing because I know she's got it taken care of. And before then, Laurie was doing it and it was the same way. Laurie will tell you point blank, not her gifting. She did it because it was a role that needed to be filled and she stepped up to do that. Zoe came in and said, hey, I'm good with numbers. I like it. And now she's doing it, and she's amazing at it. And so sometimes it's just the things that we're good at that lead us to a direction, that lead us and point us towards a path that say, hey, this is maybe how you could help. Right? We need teachers all the time in the children's area. You've had kids. Look at their qualification. Right? Like, Sometimes we need people to help clean the church. We've had somebody helping us out with that the past couple weeks, but sometimes we need uh, people to do that. I've used a broom once. Look at that. Qualification. We don't have to make life so difficult on ourselves, and we don't have to look at spiritual giftings as just the things that are positions in a church or something that we traditionally look at as a church role. Maybe our spiritual gift is to work in insurance. Maybe it's to be a nurse. Maybe it's to be a number of things. And we can find ways to use those gifts in the place that we call our church home. But whatever your spiritual gift is, find it and use it. Because that's what we're called to do. That's what we are called to do. Romans 12, 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy or prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do so diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 
First Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, last point for the day, and this, I will tell you, this is not a principle, okay? This is just like general life advice. Ready? Don't be that person. That's the last point. Don't be that person. Don't be the person that's discouraging others. Don't be the person that's tearing other people down. Don't be the person that's always looking for a reason that somebody can't do something that God has called them to do. Don't be a person that looks to discount somebody because of past discretions that you know about. Don't be that person that looks to judge before they love. Just don't be that person. It's like a pretty easy instruction. (laughs) Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Church of th- the church of Thess- Th- Thessalonica, I almost said it, I was really good at that, clearly, just as you are doing. Are we a church that is building each other up? Are we a church that is strengthening one another? Are we a church that is encouraging? Or... Do we have bumps? Do we have bruises? Do we have scrapes? Do we have people who are focusing on those things and saying, because you've done that, now you can't do this? Or in my mind, here's the qualification, and you don't meet that, so clearly this isn't the job for you. Don't be that person. Proverbs 12.25. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. A kind word cheers it up. Never underestimate your power to build somebody up. Never underestimate your power to encourage another individual. I will tell you, um, without getting emotional, because I don't do that, that Jake has been that person for me. This morning, some of you probably noticed, I'm not in a bad mood, but um, for whatever reason this morning, anxiety has been super heavy on my heart. I don't know why. Uh, I've been open about that being a personal health struggle for me for a long time. Jake came up to me right before the sermon and said, hey, are you okay? You look angry. (laughs) Like, is everything all right? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I just have a lot of anxiety. And the truth was, before I got up here, I didn't want to be here. There were a couple times during worship that I was thinking, maybe I'll just run out the back. Somebody else can cover this. Maybe they can do music all day, right? That's my real morning this morning. But Jake told me right before, he said, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. When you get up on stage, sorry, for whatever reason, that eased my heart. Why? Because a kind word can build a person up. Jake could have come up here and said, hey, you look like crap this morning. Why are you so upset? Well, get over it. And it would have been like, great, I'll see you later. Right? Our words have power. And we as people can choose to build one another up. Or we can look for ways to tear one another down. But it's going to require us to think before we speak and to do everything that we do as if we're doing it for the Lord and to live in a way that makes others' points for why we can't do something pointless. God has given you a gift so you can use that gift. Why? Because the church works. 
in whichever way that God has called us to do so. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are, that you are a loving God, that you are a forgiving God, that you are a God who looks at us and says that person is worth a gifting, that you have designed each one of us with a special purpose to do something that we can do that others can't. And God, I pray that you help us all be confident in that fact and that you help us all seek out to find what that gift is. Lay that burden on our heart that we may find joy in experiencing what it feels like to, to fulfill the purpose that you have given us. God, I pray for each and every individual here today. And I just want to say um, to each and every one of them that you are worth it, you are wonderful, and you can do whatever it is that God has called you to do. And then on a completely separate note, I just want to say thank you for moms in this room and in this world. Because moms make this place, this dark world that can be scary sometimes, so much better. And uh, being able to have a pair of open arms that we get to run to and, and find comfort in is something that um, can't put into words. God, I also want to lift those up those people up to you today that may have lost their mom. Maybe they don't have that necessarily anymore. Um, I can't imagine how tough that is. I can't imagine uh, the feelings that they have, the mixed emotions that they have today as they remember most likely how great their mom was um, and yet miss her because they don't have her anymore. I also want to lift up individuals who maybe didn't have a great mom, didn't have a great relationship with mom, didn't have a mom who uh, put them first and, and, and sought to raise them up in a way that uh, was godly and in a way that said, you were the most important thing to me. And I just want to let those people know that even if they didn't have that mom, that they have a God who loves them and who says those things every single day. We thank you for all the blessings that you have bestowed upon us this morning. In your son's name we pray, amen.